Welcome to True Talk on WMNF 88.5 with Ahmed and Summer. On today's program, we're going to be speaking about the um, one year one year anniversary of the Taliban uh, taking over Afghanistan after the United States occupation of that country for 20 years. And also a story out of um, the BBC, a, um, a young woman school girls, uh, British school girls who were trafficked to Syria to join ISIS were in fact assisted by Canadian uh, spy or the Canadian spy agency had a role in doing that. Now, one of those, at least one of those girls, one of those uh, now women are uh, stranded in Syria, unable to return because Britain had stripped her of her citizenship. That and your phone calls. Um, when we come back, this is True Talk on WMNF. True Talk on WMNF 88.5 with the um, uh, one-year anniversary passing this past week of the Taliban uh, taking over Afghanistan once again. Uh, after 20 years of occupation of the United States, uh, most of the media marking the one-year anniversary are talking about the um, women under Taliban rule 
um, of course, which is important, but not the only issue that's happening there. Um, much of it that's not being discussed is how the um, the growing poverty and hunger that's happening in that country, much of it due to uh, Afghanistan being cut off from international aid, obviously after 20 years of war and um, billions of dollars that were pumped there for the war, or some estimate that it's in the trillions um, in the 20 years of the war on terror, um, the people that were in power escaped with their money, leaving the population without money. Adding to that, that the United States had seized or frozen Afghanistan's funds. Um, I forgot the amount. I think it's like $7 billion, which the Afghanistan is uh, demanding its release, especially uh, to help with, um, you know, with, with hunger issues or to overcome the hunger issues. But first speaking about um, women in Afghanistan, um, uh, something that played on Al Jazeera that I wanted to play here first uh, is basically uh, Afghan women. Um, the headline was what women in Afghanistan want you to know. So I'm just going to play um, a part of that now, and then um, I'll be right back. Women and girls in Afghanistan about what life is like under the Taliban. Because some of the biggest changes in the last year target this half of the population. Um, actually, I picked up the wrong audio that doesn't have um, the um, the dubbing or the translation. Well, there's text on the screen, but not necessarily um, on there. But uh, to sum up uh, what some of them uh, are describing, of course, there's you know they're not a monolith, so they're um, from this segment is that um, some of them agree with the rule, some of them uh, support the Taliban 100%, uh, some of them are um, want Islamic law but disagree with how the Taliban is treating women. Others completely reject the Taliban treatment of women and think it's, um, you know, they want to return to things before the Taliban. Um, the thing that, you know, that uh, irks me or upsets me about this whole thing is there's a response, there's definitely a responsibility on the United States for what's happening in Afghanistan. I mean, our government invaded that country and basically uh, bombed it nonstop for 20 years. And despite all of that, after 20 years of fighting, um, the Taliban or fighting in Afghanistan, fighting different factions. Did they actually, did our government, did our military achieve, uh, you know, the goals they set out to do? Uh, obviously not. If just 20 years later, they just basically handed it back to the same people 
they removed from power. Well, was it worth it? And the thousands uh, of uh, American lives that also were killed in the process. Of course, much of it was because uh, they were there to liberate um, Afghan women. As, and that was a, a thing that was a theme that's been a constant through the, um, you know, the battle for Afghanistan and after an occupation was that to justify the presence there, well, this is the American government is doing this in part for the Afghan women. Um, well, are the lives of Afghan women better off today or even during the occupation, uh, meaning the U.S. occupation of Afghanistan or under the uh, American-backed government that was there, were, were their lives any better than they were before? How did they improve? Now, obviously, some things um, were improved and some things were not. Um, the subjugation of women continued under the American-backed government there, but not as many stories were actually being done at that time during the time the American-backed government was in power. But now that the Taliban is back in power, uh, these stories uh, are nonstop. Um, but what takes precedent, I think, from reading what Afghan people want uh, or need at this point, um, they definitely need more financial aid, they need infrastructure, uh, they need uh, jobs, uh, they need food. And the world, uh, you know, the international community is not responding. The United Nations is not responding. They're being punished because the Taliban is back in power. But is that really a reason to punish the everyday person? And wouldn't it be better to work with and try to assist the people there, um, especially when it comes to uh, hunger, rather than just leaving them um, to continue uh, to become more desperate? What happens when you have a desperate population that doesn't have jobs, that doesn't see um, hope for the future, and definitely doesn't have education, well, things are only going to get worse. And uh, that will only harden the Taliban even more. So despite, I mean, this is my opinion, I don't know, maybe our listeners have a different opinion. Um, despite what's happening there, despite that the people in power may not be friendly to the United States, uh, or had been previously the enemy of the United States, but now that they're back in power, why not try to work and moderate those uh, groups and bring them into the international community? Now that they're uh, leading the government, uh, let them get busy with you know governing because governing and trying to uh, provide services to your people, it's much more different or a lot different um, than you know just resisting and fighting and trying to overthrow the people that are there. Now they're the ones that would be responsible for what happens. Uh, but it just seems like the international community um, doesn't want them to succeed, and in and they're doing that by punishing the people themselves. It's not like the people chose the Taliban to be there. The Taliban came back to power. Um, so, uh, in the future, I do uh, want to have um, somebody from uh, the Afghanistan community to be on the show to tell us about some of the stories, their feedback. Um, I do talk to people from time to time, and I think they're frustrated, they're worried. And we know that, you know, tens of thousands of people were relocated 
uh, to the United States, especially the ones that were were working with the United States military, and now they've been relocated uh, to America and other parts of the world. And I've met some of those people here in Tampa Bay and other areas. And while they don't necessarily get political, they're not concerned about the politics because they're trying to survive. They've been now uprooted, brought to the United States, brought to different countries where they may or may not necessarily speak the language. Uh, except most of the people that are here that were relocated here, uh, people from Afghanistan, um, have some English proficiency because they were working with the U.S. military or the U.S. government or nonprofits in some sort of shape or you know, form. They were assisting. Uh, they were working in media. So they do have some language. But starting all over is not easy. And it's not like they give you, you know, a bunch of money when you come over and give you housing. I think they provide assistance for like three or six months and then you're on your own. Um, so, um, and much of this happened, you know, until end of the pandemic or well, during the pandemic. Uh, so um, it may not be as easy to get jobs, obviously. And there are still thousands uh, still stuck there that could not leave that their lives are in danger or because they were, you know, assisting or working with the United States government. Um, by the way, you can call us at 813-239-9663, 813-239-9663, or you can email us your comments at dj at wmnf.org, dj at wmnf.org. And um, Frank, uh, one of our... Um, Volunteer producers here will uh, be taking or answering your calls and passing it on to me, even though I don't see Frank uh, at the phone station right now, but he will be there shortly. So if you do uh, call in, you can stay on hold for a little bit. Uh, thanks for your patience. Um, so the reading in the headlines, um, most of the headlines when you uh, Google or search for news about Afghanistan, the majority of the stories that I came across are, again, um, you know, the status of women in Afghanistan and, you know, under the Taliban rule. Uh, it is this constant obsession uh, with the plight of Afghan uh, women um, as if that's the only. But again, I, I think, which is important, I don't want to underestimate the importance of that. Uh, however, at the same time, these the plight of the Afghan women were just as bad during the, um, I don't want to say maybe not just as bad, but they were going through similar hardships um, when the American-backed government was there, but these stories were missing. So you get a sense that the media or the mass media has this way about... Um, I mean, we have, yeah, we live in a free society with independent me or media, you know, free speech. However, you get a sense that the, even though we don't have state-run media in America or in Western countries, they focus on things that, you know, that are in line with U.S. foreign policy. The United States is against Afghanistan uh, or the whoever's ruling Afghanistan. So these are the stories that come out. Um Prior, you know, when Afghanistan was under American, the American-led government and their similar or other uh, 
problems in that country, especially with um, the um, the opium and, and drug trade and human trafficking and other things, it seems like they were looking the other way. When war crimes were happening or people were killing, were being killed with drones, they're either justifications or there weren't as many investigations about those issues. And that's why it's important to have independent media and to look at other sources for that. Um, I mean, the truth eventually comes out, but oftentimes it's years later. CBS News had this um, um, headline that says, one year after the U.S. left Afghanistan, Biden has yet to uh, release has yet to release after action reports on withdrawal. So, you know, they're still looking for the investigation. Of course, there's a lot of pressure from the Republicans of how bad that withdrawal, you know, happened. Oh, of course, it was rushed and they were not prepared for it because uh, the intelligence agencies did not expect that the Taliban would take over so quickly. They never accept, expected or, you know, they didn't think that the military that the United States trained for so many years and pumped so much money into would just collapse so quickly. What was the purpose of pumping so much money and, um, you know, putting so many Americans' lives at risk to train a group of people that just simply, you know, gave up their weapons and, you know, and, and many of them escaped the country. Um, and it just shows you that the people that perhaps the United States was backing in Afghanistan did not really have broad support. If the many of the um, Afghan people themselves were turning to the Taliban um, as some sort of, or at least did not resist the Taliban, that just shows you how bad things must have been in order for that to happen. I mean, they were, were able to roll from city to city without much resistance and in many situations, members of the military themselves, this is the Afghan military that were trained and were allies of the United States, you know, switched sides and joined the Taliban in their drive to take over the country. This happened. Um, and there's still no reports of how that exactly happened. Perhaps it was the nonstop drone attacks uh, that were happening and killing average Afghan, Afghanistan people in Afghanistan average Afghanis um, in villages that were angering the populations. And this had gone on unchecked under Bush, under Obama, under Trump. Um, it was going on. Regardless of the administration, the killing of people in Afghanistan continued. Many of them are not members of the Taliban. They were just average individuals, villagers, people that were attending weddings, people that were attending uh, funerals people that were going to school, and you see the numbers, and we see the casualties that were happening on that side, and it just looked over as some sort of collateral damage. Well, that type of thing, you know, those activities, killing people, builds resentment, builds up hatred. It's not that they hate the United States because somehow they're jealous of the United States, but because members of the, or the U.S. military is killing their people there. Um, so... Our phone number is 813-239-9663, 813-239-9663. The U.S. is now holding or uh, froze funds that um, 
that belongs to the Afghan government and they're refusing to release it despite the widespread hunger that's there. Do you agree with that policy or not now that it's been a year since um, the Taliban has uh, retaken uh, Afghanistan? Uh, Jack from Dover, Florida. Uh, let me turn this on. Jack, go ahead. Thank you, Ahmed. Um, I just want to kind of remember a little bit about history back in the 70s when Afghan and Russia were kind of at war on the border over there, the river road that uh, went through Pakistan. I remember reading about it in Time magazine. And I'm just wondering if maybe Russia wouldn't be a better fit for Afghanistan than America. And if you have an opinion on that, you know, like you said, um, from what I learned on the news while watching the war with Afghanistan, the farmers over there were saying that um, they did make more money, you know, growing heroin and stuff for the drug trade than they did growing their regular crops. And European countries seem to be a little bit more liberal with their drug trade laws than America. So I was wondering if you had an opinion on that. Right. Um, well, as far as if Russia is a better fit, Russia did invade Afghanistan um, at some point in, I think, 1979, 1980. And they stayed there for many years until, I guess, um, 1989 or 1990. Um, uh, well, do you and, think and, and, and would get more of would have more of a negotiation ability. They would, they would, yeah, you know, possibly have a bit more leeway. They may now because the Russians than Americans. Well, shortly after, you know, they took over, they did visit Russia and Putin welcomed them there and they discussed different things, but they, but I, I, I think the Russians may eventually, you know, make allies uh, or assist uh, the Taliban, but only because, you know, they're at war with the United or, um, right. I, they're not directly at war with the U.S., but indirectly that they are. So well, uh, there are shifting alliances that are happening there. But, the, you know, the Taliban was not in power when Russia invaded, and it wasn't necessarily the Taliban. Were. It was different. They are now, though. Yeah, they are now. So I think they're desperate enough that they can try to work with uh, with anyone that would yeah, support them. I would them. think that they would be better off working with Putin. I mean, with what we learned yesterday, I mean, that our own police department and first responders have, you know, $300 million invested, you know, their, their entire retirement, depending on the Russian economy. And I know I, I have to apologize to people. I didn't, I didn't mean to say that, you know, I wanted Putin to amp up his, his war machine. That's the last thing I would ever want. And I'm so sorry for the people and their children that have died as a result of, you know, the Russian invasion. But, I think on from from a larger perspective, an aggregate perspective of government and life, just like here in America, there there are a lot of people in America that are 100% religion and and 100% anti-war. They don't even like our own military, and yet we still have to live, we still have to go to work, we still have to pay taxes. And I just think that there's a large portion of people, both in Afghanistan and in Russia that are probably feeling the same way that we do. You know, it's a, it's a double-edged sword. But if, if Russia and Putin are a better fit for the Taliban and they're a better fit for the Afghan people and they can give them a better standard of living and help them, and everybody right now really needs to help Pakistan. Just forget the war, forget, 
you know, right, because of the flooding and, and and help with the flooding, right? Mm. And then you know, deal with the deal with the war secondary. Um, protect the nuclear power plant so that we don't have another disaster there, um, and take care of the flooding first. That that should be our only priorities right now. Okay, thank you, Jack. So uh, that's Jack, and yeah, uh, it's important comment about half of Pakistan is now under. Uh, floods. It's just uh, unprecedented. It hasn't happened like this for um, for decades. If you look at satellite images, it just it, it's devastating. Um, NASA, you know, posted uh, these you know images of devastate the uh, satellite images of Pakistan. It just shows, and you can see some of these before and after images. Entire villages are now submerged into underwater. Um, so far, uh, some 1,200 people have uh, died. Uh, 480,000 people have been misplaced. People affected is 33 million. Affected areas is like 2 million acres. Damage, 10 billion uh, estimated. Uh, I'm sure it's going to continue to rise. Um, and they need help. People need help. Uh, the government there on their own can't handle what's happening in Pakistan uh, already had uh, this issue of um, uh, political polarization that's happening between the, you know, the government, the Imran government, Imran Khan uh, regime or party that was in a way oosted from power and uh, the current government. So there's a lot of political friction that's happening uh, or that was happening before these floods uh, started. Uh, Joe from Clearwater, go ahead. Uh, yeah, um, well, I was thinking about the movie uh, several years ago about the congressman from Texas, Charlie somebody, uh, when the uh, Soviets were in Afghanistan. And, the movie uh, yeah. Charlie's War? Charlie yeah, Wilson? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, they should have listened to him. Uh, you know, I, uh, I think it was uh, a really good thing he did to uh, help the Afghans with material and stuff. And he should have listened to him uh, when, uh, when the uh, Soviets finally get the hell out of there and helped to rebuild the country. But we rarely dropped the ball there. Um, skipping to uh, when Bush went into Afghanistan, I, I agreed with that mm-hmm. because it was, you know, I mean, if, if Afghanistan was uh, harboring... Uh, if. The, uh, the, the key yeah. point here is if. It's just like there's so many ifs. I mean, yeah. if... That's the point. Um, you say you supported going into Afghanistan. Could there have been another way to go into Afghanistan to get bin Laden? Well, if uh, if the Afghans turned them over, that would have uh, stopped the U.S. from going in, I imagine. I mean, they uh, went after uh, Baghdadi without... Syria having to let them in. You know, they did a special operation. They found out. And at the end, they killed bin Laden with the Navy SEALs, right? They didn't have to get Pakistan. So there was a way to go about doing it without the invasion. It seems to me that the U.S. government or the people around Bush at the time used that as a pretext, you know, to do the invasion, to carry out their, you know, massive wars in Afghanistan and in Iraq. And Really, Afghanistan was not the target. They really wanted to go after Iraq. It was just, you know, they spent a little time there, and then right away they started turning attention to Iraq, and they're seeing weapons of mass destruction. And there were all these uh, lies or kind of, you know, misinformation campaign to try to somehow link 
uh, you know, Saddam Hussein to bin Laden that somehow he was involved in 9-11. Yeah. Hussein brought a lot of it down on himself because he boasted that he had. Uh, of course. Yeah. yeah. He thought that would and be then, a deterrent, but it turned yeah. against him. <laughs> and at the end, he had nothing. Uh -huh. But uh, the people around Bush, these neocons, um, I don't. I, I don't think Bush himself was a neocon when he started, but he had appointed all these people like Dick Cheney and others that were around him, Rumsfeld, um, um, and what was the other Wolf Wolfowitz, uh, these um, warmongers that wanted to go to war, and they had already while Bill Clinton was in power, they were already putting plans in place for the invasion of Iraq, and they were just looking for some sort of pretext. I think they could have gotten Bin Laden in um, in a much different, you know, and less expensive, and uh, definitely not the way that was mishandled because they we spent twenty years in Afghanistan did not accomplish much except create more and more violence and more and more terrorism. Uh, but go ahead and uh, finish your comment. Well, we made this we made a mistake with Gaddafi too. We should have left him in power because he was not as bad as some of the people that took over afterwards. We should have left Hussein in power because, uh, you know, a lot of bad people uh, came after that. I don't know. I think the last decent war this country had was World War II, the last mm. one that really made sense. Right. Uh, I think. But, I mean, I, you just see that the the wars around the world are continuing. The United States just continues to be basically part of these major wars. That we're we just a war country. Be, we shouldn't try to be the policeman for the world. You know, we should have gone into Afghanistan kick some butt, and then got, either got the hell out or help them rebuild. Right. We, uh, you know. Um, yeah, so anyway. Uh, well, thank you for your call, Joe. Um, this is this is what they describe as blowback. I mean, you know, what happened in Afghanistan for the past 20 years, um, we're going to continue to see the consequences of that for decades to come. These young people that grew up only seeing and knowing American bombs being bombed on them. How is that, how did that, how is that shaping their worldview? Um, and just imagine that you're just under, you know, if our country, our state was being bombarded for 20 years, being occupied by foreign people that didn't belong here, had no reason to be here. Uh, are we going to go grow up? Is that generation going to grow up loving those people or hating them? And it's not that they hate them because, oh, they have a different different skin color, that they're white or that they're Christians or that they have a different way of life. Um, most likely it's because they were killing them, uh, killing their relatives, um, their loved ones, depriving them of a future. Um the other problem that I see in Afghanistan is with uh, when all these people departed, the people that have the language and the skills and the ones that were helping with the government, and they just simply took off because of fear of what the Taliban is going to do. Um, much of that fear actually did not come to fruition. They did not go on some sort of you know uh, death squads and start killing everybody that worked with the previous government that was uh, left behind. That never happened. Um, but the fear, and we saw those images of people trying to escape, trying to hang on to you know planes and things and, and to rush the chaos that was happening there. 
um, a lot of those people or the ones that had the skill set, uh, the training, the talent, and now uh, they left something people you know describe as a brain drain, uh, leaving the people that some people you know leaving the country that they helped run um, you know less equipped to be able to continue in the future and left in the hands of the Taliban. Uh, a leadership that was in hiding, that was scattered, that were in the mountains, they may not have the know-hows, you know, and the skill set and, you know, and and the technology or the training to run uh, a government. And so it's a recipe for, for disaster. Uh, it's the same thing, you know, after the United States helped and trained uh, Afghan fighters, the Mujahideen, um, to to repel or fight against the Russians or the Soviet Union and defeat them or get them to go out. Then after that, which the caller referred to, which was depicted in Charlie's War, the congressman tried to urge the U.S. government to continue staying there and help rebuild the country, but um, they decided, no, they just left it. So after all that destruction, all that fighting, they left Af- Afghanistan, was left alone, and different warring tribes, different groups, militias were fighting against each other, and eventually the Taliban uh, emerged out of that because um, they said, well, we're going to rid Afghanistan of or this uh, all the, um, the, you know, the infighting that was happening between the different warlords and bring some law and order. And people welcomed it at the beginning. And then, you know, the Afghanistan or the Taliban brought this very harsh uh, rule uh, which they called, you know, Islamic rule, but in reality, it was just a very uh, extreme version of it, which um, is not sanctioned by uh, Muslims or traditional Muslims. But they use that to control people. But a- again, it's like a domino effect. Had you know, who knows? Had the United States stayed in Afghanistan in uh, 1990 and on, and spent that decade providing aid and helping rebuild the country, um, perhaps the Taliban would never emerged. Um, You wouldn't have a safe haven for Al-Qaeda in Afghanistan or training camps. They just left it there, and it became a place where terrorists can go to. Um, Of course, the United States government um, also does not necessarily acknowledge often that they, in part, were allies with bin Laden and the people that formed Al-Qaeda that at some point that they were allies, they trained those people, they provided them weapons, they were on the same side against the Soviet Union. Um, and the same thing with Afghanistan. At one point, Saddam Hussein was an ally of the United States. They um, gave him weapons, they gave his government weapons, they gave him even chemical weapons and uh, to use against um, Iran. And then eventually they had a falling out. So... This is the type of blowback that happens uh, because of failed policies by our government. By the way, if you're just joining us, this is True Talk on WMNF 88.5. You can call us at um, 813-239-9663. We're speaking about the one-year anniversary of Afghanistan, um, one-year anniversary of the Taliban retaking Afghanistan and, um, you know, 
now they have uh, extreme hunger and poverty that's happening there, in part because they've been cut off from the rest of the world, also because the United States froze $8 billion or $7 billion of Afghanistan's uh, money, which can help the Afghan people, but the United States is refusing to turn it over. And the whole world is just watching. This is something that really upsets me, not because I have any you know, feelings or support or sympathy for the Taliban, but it's just, what do you think the people, if you want these people to moderate, what do you think they're going to do knowing that they're starving in part because you've stolen their money? And at some point, uh, President Biden signed an executive order giving half of that money to victims or families of 9-11 victims that were killed in the attacks. Well, the Taliban that's there now and the people that are in Afghanistan are not responsible for 9-11. That was Al-Qaeda. Those were fighters that, you know, at some point were trained by the United States to fight against not all of them, of course, but Al-Qaeda, their you know, remnants of that war where the CIA trained uh, some of those folks. So, um, and all those, none of those hijackers were from Afghanistan. None of them were from Afghanistan. They're, most of them, I think 14 of them were from Saudi Arabia. Yet, you're seizing the money from the Afghan people and giving it to the victims or the families of the victims of 9-11, while people in Afghanistan are starving. Uh, it just doesn't make sense. What type of policy will that create? Will that create more peace between the United States and Afghanistan, or will that uh, create an environment where terrorist groups can recruit uh, vulnerable, vulnerable individuals, individuals in Afghanistan that are upset at what's happening? Um, our phone number is 813-239-9663. You can also email us at dj at wmnf.org. You can also text us, uh, but I don't see where the text number is. Oh, send a text to 813-433-0885. 813-433-0885. Um, Doug in uh, Clearwater, go ahead. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Yes, Doug. Um, Adding on to the movie list, uh, there's a movie called Outpost. Um, it was a uh, it was a true story uh, about uh, a military uh, camp. I don't know what you uh, that we had in Afghanistan. It was so so poorly put out. It was at the bottom of uh, at the bottom of a uh, valley. Um, but the story goes on to say, you know, they're they're getting ready to take these people out. They're gonna, they're just gonna abandon the base, and then they delay it. And sure enough, eventually, uh, they get bombarded with people, uh, Afghanis, uh, I guess the Taliban, um, and. <laughs> A few of them, a few of them make it out, but they they wipe them out. And my point is, um, you know, the U.S. does not treat the military very well. And as far as what they did in Afghanistan, they fueled it. And 
there's just one other example I can add, and that is, as far as I've been knowledgeable about, you know, uh, international affairs, I've always thought Israel and Palestine will never make peace as long as they're killing each other. You know, you kill a generation of people, they're not going to like you for a very long time. And um, Afghanistan is not going to like us. And we are not good to our military. That's it. Um, if, if you look at the the military, or at least the, uh, I don't know, uh, the appearance of of uh, mer- military worship in America, of always saluting the troops, people putting the things on their cars, people saying that, oh, we love the military. Um, you know, you often see them in airports, people are clapping. But is, so is this just kind of shallow and empty uh, praise because it's not really backed up by policy. I mean, if you do support the military, you make sure that they have the right uh, health care, mental, you know, uh, support, you know, uh, mental health support, etc. It, it seems like there is this praise for the military um, that's kind of, I, I don't know, I'm not in the military. I, I don't have anyone in the military to know exactly. Um, but it's just kind of to create this kind of nationalism and praise and support for military just to provide funding for the military uh, in the forms of weapons, but not necessarily in the form of support for them, especially after they return. Yeah. um, I I guess I would just say, uh, you know, I I do, you know, if you want to serve in the military, um, that's fine. I, you will have my respect, but I am not gonna. I'm not gonna put you guys up on a, a plateau because I do not think that that's the way to go, and I do not want to see you get mowed down in Afghanistan because the U.S. military did not provide you with weapons, did not pull you out like they said they were going to do. You know, I mean, look, if you want to serve, look, it's like please. You know, you kind of need police. But, look. <laughs> well, the thing that gets me is it, it seems like um, um, oh, I lost my train of thought for some reason, but a lot of the people that join the military are joining because of different circumstances. Um, you know, many of them are the people that needed to go to college or they want a way out from, from yeah. what they're in, um, they don't choose necessarily, oh, we want to go to war uh, and fight, um, you know, uh, over there. But uh, thank you so much, Doug, for your call. Uh, oftentimes you hear them from the t- people talking about the people in the military, especially when it comes to politicians, and they'll say, well, these people are dying for our freedom. They're dying to keep us free. Is that really true? Are they actually, is going to Afghanistan and, you know, fighting and killing a bunch of people in Afghanistan and fighting the Taliban, is that keeping us free here in America? Going over to uh, to um, Iraq and fighting uh, against Saddam Hussein, did that make us more free? 
Um, It's not, how is that connected? Because it doesn't seem like anybody from Iraq actually ever threatened the United States. Uh, Again, as far as 9-11, that was an attack. That's an attack on our country, an attack on all of us. Um, But those hijackers were from Saudi Arabia, 14 of them. Um, I, I can't remember all the nationalities of the rest. And of course, there's so much that we still don't know about those attacks. And what we do know, though, is that at some point, um, elements of our intelligence, the U.S. intelligence community, knew of an attack was being planned and something about to happen, but they failed to stop it. The different agencies, some of them were not talking to each other. Some of them knew of the imminent threat, but did not warn the others. I, I feel like not enough, like, whose head, who who was held responsible in the U.S. government for dropping the ball and allowing something like this to happen? It, it just, it, something that huge, somebody needs to pay the price. And it's not only just going after the per, the uh, the enemy that carried it out, but also the people that dropped the ball and, and, and did not stop it. Um, I'm going to Jerry in St. Pete, and our phone number is 813-239-9663. Our email is dj at wmnf.org. Jerry, go ahead. Oh, yeah. Thanks for taking my call. So um, I have, it's kind of a two-part question, so you can answer either or, and I kind of had an idea associated with it. So um, uh, when the last president was elected, I did not happen to vote for, I call him Don, but Don, um, I didn't vote for Don, but I said, I thought I'd look him up. And You're I talking about the current president? No, the last president. Oh, Don, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Don, Don. <laughs> so, so, um, so I looked him up and then I found this radio program, the TV program where he was on the talk show prior to being president and he, and the guy was asking him, and I can't, I couldn't possibly make this up, so I, this, this seems to have vanished off YouTube. So I, he's asking him, if you were CEO of America, what would you do? And he commented on a previous president who got us into Afghanistan, and I, I happen to agree with everything that he said. It was pretty amazing. But then he said, there was 20, he said, I would pull us out of Afghanistan, and there is $20 million in the United States government to throw a party. And he said, I would throw a party for $20 million. My idea is if that money is still available, you know, the, the WMNF party coming up, that would go a long way to a pretty good bash, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, he could throw a lot of, you could throw a really good party for $20 million. So I'm just wondering, did anybody else hear that? Or did, I mean, I know it happened. I'm not making this up. So I, but the thing is, I didn't vote for the guy, but you know, I'm like, God, I agree with, this is exactly, I totally agree with this. So I was all stoked. I'll take my, I'll take my response offline. Thanks. Thanks. Um, <laughs> Jerry from St. Pete wants to party with $20 million. Um, yeah, I don't remember the $20 million money part um, to throw a party. However, um, Trump at the beginning, when before he became president, uh, was speaking out against uh, what he called endless wars. And some people agreed with him. Uh, I'm not sure uh, 
you know, if he knew what that meant, but he seemed to say that he wants to pull the U.S. out of these different endless wars in Afghanistan and Iraq and other places. And in fact, it, was, it wasn't Biden that pulled Americans out of Afghanistan. Uh, that was happening as a result of uh, Trump. It was Trump um, that had started that process. It was Trump under Trump. I don't know if it started, but he definitely sealed it to that, you know, the U.S. is pulling out of Afghanistan. And he wanted to rush it where they pull out before he's out of office, in fact. Um, there were some remnants that were still there at the end. And that's uh, that chaos that happened with the Biden administ- under the Biden administration. But that was all really started um, during Trump's time. And, you know, he kept uh, pulling out. Uh, more and more troops and said, you know, that they're ending their presence there. And they made a deal with the Taliban to release the different leadership. So all that was happening uh, while Trump was in office, not Biden. If it was Biden, Biden is too much of a war hawk. He'd want to stay in Afghanistan for a long time. Um, You know, it was during the Obama administration, Obama and Biden administration, they actually increased their presence uh, in Afghanistan, uh, which... You know, you, you remember President Obama received the Nobel Peace Prize uh, for which, you know, looking back at that, he should never, he should never have gotten it. I'm, I'm sure the the committee there regrets uh, giving him the Peace Prize. I mean, you know, pr- prematurely, uh, they should make it a rule where they don't give that out to current presidents. They'd have to wait until they retire or are out of office to decide if they're actually worthy of that or not. Um, President Obama came in with lots of promises and lots of hope. Uh, I voted for him um, and, you know, believed his message. Uh, but, you know, he, fell, he he fell far short of his promises or ambitions or the things that he promised. He probably got into office and realized he can't make all these changes. There are other powers at play that are not going to allow him to make change so easily. And uh, that's the way our government is designed. It doesn't make changes so easily. You can't just change things overnight. There are too many things at play that are happening and there's too many different uh, centers of power and there are the corporations. We have our own oligarchy in America whatever you want to call it. Yes, we live in a democracy, but we have our own, you know, billionaire class and we have these oligarchs and we have these families um, and who are pumping so much money into our elections. It's We'd like to think that we live in a democracy where we're able to vote for whoever we want to. Sure, we can, but at some point, money in politics does drive a lot of who gets more attention, who doesn't. You know, case in point, when... Uh, Scott, you know, became governor. He was—he never ran for office before in Florida, and never campaigned. Uh, never had any. <laughs> yeah, hi. Somebody's commenting on my hair in the studio. That's why I laughed. Um, no prior experience in government, but he ran all these ads with his money. He didn't have to, you know, ask for donations. He's so rich. He's the richest. He's now. After leaving the governor's office, uh, used his money to also go on to the Senate. Now he's the richest senator um, in Washington, uh, a billionaire. Never mind, he's uh, 
you know, been accused or his company has been accused of the biggest, uh, what was it, the uh, Medicare fraud ever. Uh, people tend to forget these things. It's like, you know, when they, when you bring these people uh, or these politicians on television for interviews, you should always remind the public of these people's background or maybe on the side screen here in their bio, like list all their crimes or allegations, past allegations against them. Not allegations, at least the ones that their company were responsible for so they know the history. Um, yeah, so I, I know I'm going off topic. Uh, I received received an email from um, Greg who says, kind of a long email, ever since George uh, W. Bush's first Gulf War, has it's been needless. Uh, for some reason, I can't read his message. The email is getting cut off. Why is that? Okay. Um, ever since George Bush's first Gulf, or he's talking about H.W. Bush's first Gulf War, all U.S. wars have been needlessly fought only to preserve the size and the strength of the U.S. military uh, to use, with the idea of use it or lose it. When Barbara Bush wrote an op-ed saying Saddam Hussein should be hanged, I wrote her a letter telling her that her George should be dangling by his side. Uh, the U.S. armed Hussein till the day we had boots on the ground. That's the first Gulf War was fought to overcome the Vietnam Syndrome, and we have continuously uh, been at war ever since. Hmm. Okay. Um, well, we're running out of time. Our show is almost over, and uh, this has been True Talk at WMNF. I didn't get a chance to uh, get onto the other topic about um, this uh, story that's still breaking that... Um, the Canadian spy agency out of all places, <laughs> I didn't even know, well, I assume they have one, but they're hardly in the news, um, played a role in smuggling uh, children or teenage women, teenage girls into ISIS to join, Ital uh, to join I into Syria to join ISIS. Um, so this story is still breaking. Maybe we'll talk about it next week. This has been True Talk on uh, WMNF, WMNF Tampa. NPR News is next. We'll see you at the same time, same place next Friday. Um, no, not Friday. Our show used to be on Friday. Now it's on Thursday. So Thursday, 11 o'clock. We'll see you. Have a great weekend. WMNF Tampa. <laughs> تشوف ابنك راح فين ما تخافيش يما على ايه شعل هم الدنيا ليه ربك دايما بيراضي بكرة تشوف ابنك راح فين ولا فرقة معايا الناس من سالك مين بصاص من راضي ومين اتغاص انا بغلى وهم مرخاص رايح فاضي وجايب كاس جايب دهب وجايب ماس كل اللي جايب اللي ملي بقاس هم ايه برجل الدار